0: welcome back guys uh i'm still here with andrew yang no not that andrew yang uh and as well natalie the Yang,
1: the better andrew
0: yang. <laughs> uh natalie thank you so much for joining us how are you doing today
1: thank you so much i have to get that same background that andrew has that is so cool mine's so boring um uh, no i'm doing great how are you guys what a busy week
0: busy, crazy week indeed. We, uh, we will start our conversation a little bit talking about yesterday's MicroStrategy panels. Uh, I know Jack, my, uh, Michael Saylor, and Lynn Alden uh, all gave some incredible talks, and we'll touch on some of the points that they made. And then I also want to talk to you a little bit about this India news that came out um, earlier this morning, and we'll, we'll debrief you live and let you sort of run with it a little bit. But first... We'll talk a little bit about Michael Saylor. MicroStrategy, again, buying the dip, continues to just triple, quadruple down on their strategy. Um, all of us here are big fans of that. Would love to hear from you of any any sort of highlights that Michael mentioned in any of his conversations that really stood out to you.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I never get tired of hearing from Michael Saylor. Um, and I think it's just incredible how bullish he, he obviously is and how steadfast he is. When we had that correction, just like a week or two ago with the whole markets bleeding out and equities falling, you know, he stands his ground and everyone that, that doubts him or doubts the company and their ability to withstand some of these corrections and whether they're going to all of a sudden capitulate and sell. Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see that he's like, no, I'm going to be buying all the all-time highs. Right. I think that's one of the things he said, which was, you know, I I think that's great. It's a great symbol of how much he believes in this, because this is again, a long-term game. Uh, you can't look at these short Time horizons, and uh, I, I really love all the things that I've been hearing out of the MicroStrategy World 2022. Lynn Alden is probably one of my favorite voices in this space to listen to, although every time I listen to her, I feel incredibly dumb and like I wish I could have just like a tenth of her brain um, because she has so much insight into macro and just like the history. I mean, in one of the conversations, I don't know if you saw, she was comparing inflation today to the 1940s and and Contrasting it to why it's not like the 1970s and the amount of, you know, especially the amount of leverage that we have today and the amount of debt, and so I always learn a lot. Um, these have been fascinating conversations, and uh, yeah, we can dig in a little bit more.
0: I honestly, I loved the the comparison, the 40s, 70s, and present day. I did actually get a chance to catch that portion of it, despite it being during our live segment. Um, And she brought up some great points. I wish we did have those charts, but uh, can you maybe share a little bit with our viewers of just sort of what were some of the differences she was talking about in regards to the 40s, 70s and present day and why she thinks it's more 40s?
1: Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to butcher this. So I'm just going to go totally just we're, we're you know,
0: paraphrasing. from a
1: 30,000 foot view with, with no knowledge the way that, that Lynn has. But basically in the 1940s, you know, this is this was World War II. We did have a lot of debt because the, the country was printing a lot of money to help um, get us out of the, the war, essentially. And so we were pretty leveraged and we did have asset bubbles. And so inflation was similar in that sense um, because there was so much government intervention as opposed to in the 1970s. We didn't see that as much. And um, and we didn't have the amount of debt that we did. We didn't have the amount of debt creation. So Volcker, um, as the Fed chair, was able to raise interest rates in a way that wouldn't entirely collapse the, the market. Whereas today, one of the things that I talk about when I go, you know, on my media hits is they can talk all they want about tightening and tapering, but it's really impossible to do because it would cause such a cascading credit collapse. I mean, everyone is so leveraged. It's sort of that everything bubble that I'm sure you've heard it referred to. We've got a real estate bubble, asset bubble, equities bubble, more money poured into equities over the last 17 years than than in, in history. Um, and so, you know, really just like the tiniest prick could pop the bubble. And so what do they do? They have to, they have to change, uh, you know, they have to change their tune. They have to keep the music going. They have to turn dovish and keep the quantitative easing going, which I think is ultimately great for us because Bitcoin is so correlated to liquidity, which is something Lynn also talked about. We've been correlated to liquidity, correlated. So if the money printer goes burr, Bitcoin's going to go burr as well. Um, Although right now, you know, with everyone sort of expecting tightness, deny, she does agree that there will be choppy waters ahead because investors are just not sure uh, what to do. And we don't have as much demand as before. Before we had that stimulus that was like a direct demand um, that allowed for, you know, Bitcoin's price to, to respond. There were buyers right now. We need those new buyers to come in and the institutions would obviously be the best ones because they can write the biggest checks. They can, they can make the biggest purchases. So she covered a lot of ground. Um, and I just, I'm interested to see what happens over the next year because some people think like we're going to hover in this range of thirties, forties, maybe go to 50, but then come back down. And I actually disagree. I think that they're going to be forced to, to make a turnaround. They're not going to be able to taper. I think we're going to have like a melt up if anything, I think we're going to have a, a ton of people um, going in, seeing that the Fed is actually not going to be as hawkish as they claim. And I think that's going to be good for Bitcoin.
0: Uh, I love that. I love sort of the fact that you're you're not really necessarily buying into the hype. Um, I, I kind of want to put you a little bit on the spot right now. You, you threw out some numbers of, of where people think are going. You, you said your direction. Do you have a, a conference day prediction for a price range for Bitcoin?
1: conference um
0: prediction okay
1: so we're what like a month a month and a half away two months two months oh yeah february march um i would say that we're gonna be back if not higher we're gonna be back in the 50s Range 50s and maybe 60s. Oh, uh, I don't necessarily know that we'll have a new all-time high by then, but look, I mean, I I just spent actually like almost an hour and a half on um on a call on an interview for my podcast with this guy named David Hunter. And by the way, he's not a Bitcoiner, but he's very popular. I don't know if you've heard of him in the Twitter space. Um, he's got like 48 years of experience on Wall Street, and he's a strategist who he's been making calls that, that have been on the money for everything like oil, interest rates, silver prices, all of it, like over the last two years it's like he he came from the future it's like boom check prediction boom check prediction just like his forecast and so he's been saying he's been leading up kind of in the same way peter schiff has where like we we can't keep the music going on forever like the ponzi scheme at some point has to has to end and we're gonna have this this crash and the bubble's gonna pop just like we've had bubbles pop in 09 or 08, and 2000 in the seventies with the nifty 50. And so, um, you know, he's been predicting some of these like prices and corrections. And he says that we're going to have this massive melt up. And I, Like I, I agree with him. I really agree with him. I think they're going to back off. Like I mentioned, like the Fed's going to back off, and people are going to start throwing money back in. So I think personally, that's going to really benefit Bitcoin. And I think ultimately there has to be a crash. But my hope, and this is what I've told people just personally, my hope is that Bitcoin at that point has reached like a, I don't know, a a good six-figure healthy amount, like 150, so that when we do correct ultimately we get down to support of like 50 or something. And look, in the long run, none of this matters. But I'm just saying, I think I agree that there's going to be so much volatility because we're in such a precarious position with inflation. And we've we've blown up the bubble so big that, you know, yes, we can print more money, but at some point we're going to hit like 20% inflation and that's going to crush people. So let's get them onto Bitcoin as soon as possible.
0: Um, I will not attempt to take away from this interview Be sure to check out Coin Stories. Natalie does an excellent (laughs) podcast. Uh, I believe, correct if I'm wrong, available everywhere. Podcasts are available as well as your YouTube channel. I don't want to take away from this. However, I have my portfolio open and I just kind of need to know what is the sector that's going to blow up based on your conversation with David? What is is it equities that he's really worried about? Is it the real estate bubble that he's working out? You brought up a very valid point. Everything is in a bubble right now because Mm -hmm. the money printers just keep going does this mean everything pops does he think one by one a domino falls
1: yeah so he thinks that the the equities and these growth stocks he thinks that the uh, the technology companies the fangs that we're not going to see the types of highs that we might see over the next year or in the, in a melt up scenario for probably many years to come if if ever i mean that's pretty dire that's a pretty dire prediction but i do think that what we saw a couple weeks ago was almost a it's almost like a preview of what would happen when everyone starts to decide that the Fed has lost all credibility and they can't keep this charade going, and everyone just has this immediate exit, I think it's going to be almost muscle memory, right? I mean, we saw how quick that like sell off was, and people thought we're going to crash even harder, we're going to go to how you know levels that we haven't seen in many many years, and then all of a sudden it corrected, but it. I, I mean, some people in this space think that we can keep doing that. I don't think we can keep doing that. We, I don't think we're going to reach S&P 10,000, you know? Um, so so I think it'll be interesting to see, but definitely equities will fall. Growth stocks will fall. Tech stocks will fall. Commodities will soar. Um, you know, people are really bullish on like oil prices are going to go up. Copper prices are going to go up. Um, and I think Bitcoin is going to go up personally. So,
0: Alex, if you're listening, this validates my argument as to why steel stocks were a great way for me to, get out of my tech and Bitcoin adjacent equities. So, <laughs> so thank you, Natalie, for validating that for me.
1: Well, you know, um, it's funny, like I, I, um, I've been talking to David for many months, and he's oftentimes one of my most popular episodes, but he's not a Bitcoiner. And it's and but he's he aligns with all of our views. And I keep trying to orange pill him and he's, he's he doesn't want to be orange pilled. He he thinks that basically people will rush to gold. And um, but he admits he's like, when bonds go from 0% to 10%, possibly even higher, that money has to go somewhere. Somewhere. And I think that we will be the beneficiaries of that because people are starting to get it, whether they admit it or not, like institutions and policymakers, they are starting to understand the advantages of Bitcoin. And I think that we will see just like a, a, a deluge of just a demand when there's really no place to go because the Ponzi scheme is up.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I'm trying to honestly wrap my mind around what would happen if a contrarian who has so properly predicted so many downfalls before <laughs> turned around is like, yep, no, I'm a Bitcoiner. Cause like I know that, that could be the catalyst for some institutions to start to perk their ear who maybe been been a little quiet. I also want to, I want to go back a little bit to the micro strategy conversation yeah. and maybe, maybe dissect a little bit about what Jack Dorsey was talking about. Um, my hero, his poster is hanging up in, in one of my rooms somewhere, somewhere out there in the world. But, um, Share with us a little bit about, about just sort of what, what he said, what you, your takeaways were from his conversation, and maybe what you're keeping an eye on out of block.
1: Yeah, so um, I just thought that it was incredible how he describes the the resiliency of the technology and really just diving into some of the technical aspects of why he believes in Bitcoin as this really powerful, transparent network. You know, just kind of going back to the simple points of like, this is open source just transparent protocol um, it's not trying to be anything that it's not and i said the more that they can sort to hear is not only does he have the kind of conviction that Michael Saylor does, where you know he's really making his corporation all about this and trying to spread the message and and spread awareness about the technology, but also just the idea of supporting the infrastructure. So like the Lightning Network, making sure that people understand, you know, what innovation is happening there, supporting the core developers, knowing that yes, there are some challenges to the settlement layer, but ultimately there are these building blocks on top of it, these secondary layers that will be incredibly empowering to make this into potentially more of a transactional um, technology network as opposed to just a store of value. And obviously there are some questions there, right? Because Michael Saylor has always been the advocate saying, no, Bitcoin is digital property. It's a store of value. It's not a currency. But at the same time, Lightning and what Jack is essentially building and encouraging, like that that empowers it to be a currency. and um, And so I think that there are going to be some interesting developments there. And obviously we know that he's now venturing into mining, which I think is really cool. I just think that there's so much... You know, innovation, competition, gen, gen, like genuinely capitalistic values that are in this whole ecosystem that Jack sort of touches on, and and it's really really exciting. So I think people like him will usher in more more CEOs, more institutions to to venture onto the Bitcoin wave.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you see thought leaders like that, just very clearly articulate sort of what they see, why they see it, mm-hmm. and where they see things going. It's, it's hard to ignore those type of conversations. I want to I wanna ask you, because you touched on the fact that Sailor is sort of the side of store of value. Jack is very much open to beyond store. Like, I'm sure that he believes in the store of value, but he looks at it so much more beyond that as well. Where do you sort of stand in this discussion? Are you a purist of let's go store of value, then a peer-to-peer transaction, and then who knows where this, this goes? Or yes. do you sort of, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And I think that my answer will change depending on where we're at with um, the state of like the I I think the markets and economy at large, our global economy, because right now as Americans, you know, yes, we have our U.S. dollar, which is relatively stable in the short term, but zoom out and it's collapsing over time. So you have a relatively stable asset that's depreciating over time. Bitcoin is an extremely volatile asset in the short term, but it's appreciating over time. So in my mind, it's like, why would I want to spend something that I truly believe will go up in value, right? And not to say that it's going to be to the extent of like the pizza situation where, you know, the money you spend today, it's looking back at like, like, you know, 10,000 10, Bitcoins for a pizza or whatever. But I do see it as like why I want to save this because I, do, I truly believe that the value is going to be so much greater in the future that being said, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool for transactions and as a medium of exchange in other countries, especially countries where they need to subvert oppressive governments or they have wildly higher inflation than we do here. So I'm incredibly inspired when I go to places like I went to the Oslo Freedom Forum conference last year with Alex Gladstein and his organization and just hearing from people in different countries from Afghanistan to North Korea to uh, places. Places in Africa and Latin America where they're using it in real time because they need it. They, won't, they avoid remittance payments you know, when they're sending money between family members. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful transactional tool as a currency. But I think that this is where things have to evolve a little bit more because if we position, I've always felt this way. If we position Bitcoin as a threat to the US dollar, to the US banking system, to the central bank, to the Fed. I think we're going to create more hurdles for ourselves. We're not going to be doing ourselves any favors because immediately I think it's gonna turn politicians off and it's gonna turn the people who don't understand Bitcoin off as this sort of like destabilizer in the system, right? We had Hillary Clinton saying this destabilizes the world. Well, no, you guys destabilize the world with your dumb policies over the last you know 10 years, 20 years. So um, Bitcoin fixes this, but not a lot of people understand how and why. So I think that it's kind of like that Friedrich Hayek saying that you know in the bitcoin standard safidine references this quote of like we can never take the power of money out of their hands unless we do it in a very sneaky way where at that where at the point it's like you know powerful enough and it's grown enough they can no longer do anything about it and that's the way i've personally always viewed bitcoin um it's growing organically on its own it's like sprouting its seeds little by little and pretty soon it's going to be a forest um so if you want to spend it and you're in the US cool but like I personally want it to be my my property, my digital real estate, my store of value. And for the folks that are in El Salvador or in like places like Lebanon or Turkey where inflation is skyrocketing, yeah, use it as a tri- like medium of exchange. Go for it. Um, but I think this this it'll change and someday unit of account. But like we're not there yet.
0: Bitcoin is the only thing that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton could have agreed on, regardless of what their <laughs> belief is they both agreed on it.
1: I know. I know. Uh, I, I, I'm shocked that Trump doesn't like it. I mean, and and his wife, you know, being for Solana or whatever, like, I just, I don't really understand it, but whatever.
0: I mean, I, my theory always goes back to who, who stands to lose the most by mm-hmm. going to a Bitcoin standard. And it's those closest to the money printers, those who mm-hmm. have controlled the system and created the mess and chaos we're in. You bring up an excellent point of instead of antagonizing those same people who are going to, frankly, whether or not they realize it, they're going to stand to lose the most on a Bitcoin standard, Mm -hmm. but killing them with kindness, accept them into our community. And then we turn around and we stab them in the back. I I love that. (laughs) Love that strategy.
1: (laughs) That's a much more, you know, ruthless way to say it. But no, I I really, I really think so. We have to be sneaky about it. Otherwise, I mean, because think about it, we went from the Greenspan put to the Bernanke put to the Yellen put to the Powell put, like how many puts do we need? um and and meanwhile these guys are like insider trading and making all that money you know nancy pelosi's buying her google call option calls like how the hell did she know about that i'm just i think everybody is tired of just like the bureaucrats making themselves fatter and richer and never being affected by it meanwhile secretly who knows maybe they're buying bitcoin and like everybody else gets screwed like no 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 no. we're creating a new financial system where this doesn't happen
0: Hey, Papa Powell has a stash. I'm telling you this right now. Like I don't, I don't care what anyone. I don't care if he is, says no. I don't own Bitcoin. He owns Bitcoin somewhere, and maybe, well, maybe it's GBTC. I,
1: I honestly, I really believe that too, right? And this is the beauty of the system. Is like we, we, how would we know that? How would we know? Um, but some of these people have to be stacking and just not talking about it. And these big tech CEOs, you know, the people that who are technically closest to the printer, we've already seen billionaires come out and say, yeah, I've got a bunch of Bitcoin from Mexico to here in the US. And I think we're gonna see more people admit that they do. And I certainly believe that there are politicians out there who, who aren't admitting it, but, but might've been stacking. Nancy Pelosi probably has a massive stack. <laughs>
0: Honestly, honestly, just wait wait to see the announcement of Nancy Pelosi's wallet two or three days after the announcement of whatever right? Bitcoin regulation comes out. 100%. Oh, totally.
1: Totally. Like, of course. I, I would expect nothing less.
0: Um on the on the topic of policy, uh, there's been a lot of news. You covered recently some some of the news about legislation being introduced stateside. Before before I make you essentially regurgitate your words, um, talk to me a little bit about what Natalie Brunel would do if she had the power to increase or introduce, excuse me, legislation in regards to Bitcoin. What is Natalie Brunel's first law of Bitcoin?
1: <laughs> the first law of Bitcoin um... for America. I would buy it as America. I would print money to purchase it so that I could try to fix this massive debt (laughs) debt spiral. Um, No, honestly, that's the first thing I would do. I would make America buy Bitcoin in the same way Bukele did. Um, Let's do that. The, the legal tender thing, like, again, it's just, I'm okay with it. Like, I believe the more freedom, the better, and people should be able to transact with it. Um, but I, I'm not bullish on these bills passing, the ones that we're seeing in Arizona and some of the candidates in Texas coming out saying they want their states to, you know, legalize Bitcoin as tender. I think it's, really great and progressive and inspiring of them to to come out and, and say that I just don't think we're prepared yet for sure um but in the future I definitely see that happening you know long term I think that that's really inevitable um I certainly don't want them to tax it in the way that India is threatening to tax it I mean geez it's like I remember a couple months ago when Yellen threatened to like tax unrealized gains well you know what let's tax your unrealized promises. Let's actually tax your speeches to different places 100% since you make a bunch of money just going around speaking to the big banks that you so you know supposedly regulate. I'm really on a kick today, aren't I? Um, oh,
0: I love <laughs> this. Oh, we, we could keep going for hours on uh,
1: this. Yeah, so I, I just, I wish that the U.S. would recognize this as as, prist, as pristine computer network, technology network, and also just just put it on the balance sheet. Put something on the balance sheet that's not a melting ice cube and stop buying treasury bonds.
0: Um, I, I love it. I mean, I very vocally have said, what if instead of the trillions of dollars the Fed printed to boost our yeah. stock market legalized casino, it's a legalized casino, we're not calling it a stock oh. market, Uh, and instead just bought Bitcoin at under 10K (laughs) token at that point, we would be in a much better position, I personally think, and I'm glad that you see it that way as well. You touched on now briefly the Indian news. Uh, I do want to dive into that a a little bit with you, and then we'll return to to the domestic issues at hand. As you mentioned, India has essentially rescinded their previous ban on cryptocurrencies and they're introducing a 30% tax. How they're actually going to uh, regulate this tax remains to be seen. Um, But what are your first thoughts and instincts on this news of essentially India balking on their ban?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just not surprising. I mean, ever since 2011, we saw China go back and forth too, right? It's like every single year there's a ban and then they can't. And it's, it's funny because I think that they're trying to capitalize on the fact that so many people in the public still don't understand this technology. So, so they can come out with these broad statements, like it's banned as if they can actually ban something that is completely distributed and that they have no control over. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising that uh, they're, they've reversed on it. I think it's also interesting to see some, some of the situations that have happened where po- certain policymakers diverge from the central bank, like we saw in Russia, where it's like the central bank clearly doesn't want to release its grip on their monopoly over money. And they see this as a, as a threat to their system and a destabilizer, whereas other people like President Vladimir Putin in Russia is saying, no, this is an economic advantage. We have to harness this technology. We want to be on the forefront so we don't fall behind other nations, especially as an emerging market. So it's I, I think it's really interesting, the dichotomy that we'll see because it's like on the one hand, politicians know they have to stay you know, at the cutting edge of the newest technology, they know people are investing in this space. People are making money in this space and people are doing amazing, innovative things in this space that they could also, you know, some of it they could tax. And then on the other hand, they see it as this massive threat and they don't fully understand that, their job's at risk. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, you know, how do you tax? Like, you know, it's so hard to keep track of, of these wallet um, transactions. And I know that they're trying to introduce some of the the technology, like I reported on the, the address ownership that like the verification systems, like we need to make sure to raise awareness so that that does not happen. You should not be in, a, in an environment, in a system, a platform where you have to give up all this information that, you know, identifies you specifically as this wallet owner and having to hand over pictures and social security numbers. Like that's, that's, we don't want any censorship. We don't want anything like that. So I think that there just needs to be more education and more awareness because they're going to try to take the money. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they, they want, they want a piece of it. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, we keep hammering the same point home. So it seems to be a, a general theme globally, but those who have the most to lose are going to be holding on to their power as tightly as possible. And we're, we're mm-hmm. seeing it play out. India and Russia we will we'll continue to see this play out around the world. Um, but now coming back to America, um, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of buzz. Arizona introducing it as possible legal tender. A candidate out of Georgia is also introducing Bitcoin in some capacity for their mm-hmm. state. Texas has done a lot of work. And now we also have Cynthia Loomis, whose bill should be getting introduced to Congress in the coming weeks. Um, what are some things that you're keeping an eye out? What are things that you're like, this is, this is going to be the big thing out of this space or maybe we're just sort of waiting patiently uh, to see decisions get made?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly waiting to see if there's going to be more clarity on the other cryptocurrencies. Um, one thing that you know, Lynn and Michael actually touched on this during the during the panel yesterday was just talking about the idea that it's it's pretty clear that regulators view Bitcoin as digital property, and here in the U.S., we really do still have stronger property rights or the the notion of property rights than in places like China that are more authoritarian and they have more control from capital controls to social controls. So um, I I don't have too many worries about Bitcoin other than a lot of the policymakers especially on the left coming out and making those energy arguments and attacking the mining community but we are seeing those hearings right like we just had one a couple weeks ago where people from the industry leaders from the industry are coming out saying no we're going to educate you on how proof of work actually works and why the energy is is not as much as you think and it's also a positive a net positive for the world um so i i'm waiting to see you know what what other developments happen in the mining space since esg is like this big Big narrative right now, um, but also I just think that this, the other cryptocurrencies and the other tokens will at some point be deemed uh, securities, and I wonder what that what that will mean, what that will look like. Because you know we've talked about this before, and we talk about it in the space all the time. Bitcoin, yes, it's technically crypto, but it's so different from crypto. It's so different from any other. Cryptocurrency out there, it really can't be lumped it under the same umbrella. It can't be, you know, taxed or or looked at as the same type of investment. I think, and so there has to be more clarity. And I think the clarity will be a good thing ultimately because it'll give, you know, some direction to institutions and whether they could put it on their balance sheets or whether pension funds can invest in this space. And for me. biggest thing probably will be that spot etf like i think if we had that spot etf by now we would be in the hundred thousand and higher range um and they're really dragging their their feet on it lynn alden you know touched on this before it's not like this is unprecedented canada already has a spot etf so like why are they dragging their feet is it because they know they're going to shoot the price up um so i'm waiting for like regulatory clarity clarity surrounding the others being securities the etf and uh, and just, you know, more mining, more mining developments.
0: I uh, I always love the argument that as far as energy and mining goes for Bitcoin, the fact that we don't really calculate just how much energy goes into maintaining banks, maintaining our fiat currency. I mean- I would love I would love for someone to in the next hearing literally show this show the chart that shows hey just to operate all the ATMs in America this is how much energy that uses yeah. just to just to maintain our military that essentially backs up our yeah. dollar that's how much energy this uses we seem to
1: I, That's a great I don't think, idea. I don't someone could punch those numbers. Someone has to crunch those viewers, numbers.
0: Viewers watching. There you go. This is this is your first opportunity to uh do some work for Bitcoin magazine. feel free to to put this together write an article we'll we'll share it I mean
1: I think that that's a great idea I mean I know people have used that um the the Christmas tree lights or washing machines or dishwashing machines but yeah I would love to know I mean ATMs that's a great that's a great one how much does it cost to operate ATMs across the whole country or the whole world um and yeah it's like games like stadiums how, how how much do we how much whoa, whoa, power whoa. do all those whoa, whoa. massive i'm just saying like we're okay with power in general being used for different things but we're not okay with it for like a monetary network that's truly inclusive and distributed and it's like
0: just don't if... turn, turn don't turn off the nba games no i need, no. I need my nba games for the rest of this don't season.
1: worry <laughs> oh nice
0: so um moving <laughs> though back to the Bitcoin, back to legislation, um, I, I do not mind spending some time maybe not necessarily attacking and antagonizing, but um, maybe being a little bit critical on some of the decisions that are getting made out of D.C., both by Congress as well as Fed policies. Um, off of some of the Fed news last week where interest rates are going to slowly creep up, we saw the stock market react negatively to Jerome Powell just opening his mouth as usual. Um where where do you see the fed's stance changing in regard to bitcoin or can it ever simply because they are the ultimate money printer
1: um i think that the fed right now is just really trying to hold the house of cards together and i think that they're really concerned about how they're going to react to any move by the stock market. I think right now the Fed is reactive. It's it's like the arsonist turned into a firefighter is a quote I think I read on a on Twitter. I think that's a smart way of um of looking at it. I don't think that they're as concerned with Bitcoin. I think that they're just trying to prevent a recession because we saw how quickly it could, we could we could venture into that territory. And again, I think that that's just like such a sign of where we're at in terms of the bubble, like this, like a single prick and the single, you know, signal that a bunch of investors are selling off could send things really spiraling. And that's very scary given how much debt we have. Like we're at historic levels for like the Warren Buffett indicator, like market cap to GDP debt to it's like, it's crazy right now. And again, for the people that think that this is just sustainable, they'll keep printing. Um, you know, I've had some people say, "Well, oh, they'll they'll um, they'll start capital controls." Like that's that's a horrible or uh, price controls. That's hor- that's horrible. Like we we better not venture into that territory. And I just think that the market has to correct eventually. It will send Bitcoin tumbling, like it like it has. It's sort of almost a canary in the coal mine, probably because it's so liquid and so new. And for some institutions, it's a totally risk on asset, but let's not look at it in, in the short term let's not think about what what you know number it might may or may not fall to that will be a huge buying opportunity because when the dust settles from this fiat nightmare that has been created everyone will hopefully finally move on to the Bitcoin standard and we will suck money out of bonds. We'll suck money out of gold. Who cares about gold? It's 10 trillion. We can be way better than that. We've got you know, $200, $400 trillion worth of assets we need to pull from. Um, so I think in the long run, this will be great. But yeah, right now, it's like the Fed doesn't know what to do. The Fed is going to try to raise rates, but they can't. They can't pop the bubble. To raise interest rates into a meaningful level that would actually combat this inflation, they'd have to raise it to 5 6 7%. That would be that would be the boom of all booms, you know? So they're going to do what they can, but they've lost all credib- credibility. They're in a car careening toward a cliff and someone, an adult needs to get behind the wheel and steer it in the direction of Bitcoin, you know?
0: Honestly, you made me think of this quote that I saw the other day that I, wa- I want to share. But we have this habit in this country of like kind of deeming people who are above a certain age. I'm, I apologize to our viewers who are, <laughs> a little bit older, but I respect you and thank you for everything you have done and provided. But we we tend to look at people in the 70s and 80s as like, hey, you're on the decline. Maybe you should retire from your job. Maybe like you should go and get your eyes checked and we need to double screen you for your driver's license. And yet these are the same people we decide to let run our country. Where is, where do we, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to share that thought that sort of creep crept into my mind during that, but you're absolutely right. The, The Fed, the Fed is lost. they have lost. They lost the plot. Um, it will be very interesting to see how things play out this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I am fully in agreement that you could try to do whatever you want, but you're not going to unravel this. Um, I equate it to the scene in, not Infinity War, yeah, Infinity War, where they try to like unravel one of the characters <laughs> who's like tied up. But, anyways, okay. I won't. I won't go down that nerd path with you yet. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about. Um, legislative efforts, we, you touched on a little bit like this bifurcation. And I believe a couple of days on the show, we talked about with CJ Wilson, the idea that Cynthia is pushing forward is going to essentially say every, every single digital asset is going to come to this funnel. If you are decentralized, Mm -hmm. you go over here. If you are centralized, you are essentially going to meet the SEC. Um, What are your thoughts on this? How does this play out uh, in the grand scheme of things, as well as how does this actually get regulated?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough road ahead because again, so many policymakers still need to be educated. So I really applaud the efforts of people like CJ Wilson and Amanda Cavallari and Dennis Porter, who are spearheading these efforts to really like get in there, talk, ask these candidates, like, what are you, what is your stance on Bitcoin? Do you need resources? Let me help you. Here's a way to, you know, talk about it with someone who's on the right. Here's a way to talk about it with someone on the left. And like, you know, let's bring us all together on one thing since we're so polarized, but you know, I, I agree kind of like what we mentioned before, Bitcoin has to be different differentiated and distinguished from everything else. And there has to be sort of two funnels that, you know, eventually these, these cryptocurrencies go into Bitcoin being that digital property and that store of value and something that we need to protect and take advantage of as a country economically. And from a competitive technology standpoint, I think mining, we could really use to our advantage to create jobs, innovation, you know, clean energy, um, and then everything else has to, you know, has to go through and, you know, they don't, it doesn't pass the howie test. So I I don't know what's going to happen ultimately, but there needs to be a lot of clarity. I think that there's going to be a lot more conversations, um, moving forward. And I hope that they make really great decisions. What's crazy is like, sometimes they throw in stuff into these massively big legislative documents, right? 3000 pages. And there'll be like a paragraph and, and all of a sudden you need to like create a new bill just to correct that one paragraph, because now you're all of a sudden opening up the ability to spy on accounts or being able to freeze people's funds, like in, in one of the last pieces of legislation. So, you know, there's going to be so much work that needs to be done. And I know that there are incredible people out there doing it. And so I'm excited to see sort of what happens, but, um, yeah, I just, we need to make that distinction just like Fidelity did recently in that, in that, um, publication they put out that like Bitcoin is very, very different. Bitcoin should not be looked at in the same way, and Bitcoin is the thing that, you know, Cynthia Lemma said on, on, on the Congress floor, like, thank God we have this. I mean, that's why, like, it's funny because we talk about such serious things and it's like doom and gloom, crash, whatever. But I've never been happier and more hopeful because Bitcoin exists. And I'm so excited and all of these efforts are so positive because this is the, like, if we didn't have Bitcoin, think about it. Like, where would we be? I would have no hope for the future. It would be like a crash and then what people move on to gold or, or what, like I, I experienced in my lifetime, yet another just like economic disaster zone. Like I lived through the, through the recession, um, 08, 09. So I just really see a lot of hope in this and we just need to educate the policymakers and the powers that be.
0: Uh I want I want you to be able right now to speak directly to the biggest Bitcoin antagonist Elizabeth Warren what would you say to her right now if she's watching
1: Uh Hi, Elizabeth Warren. Thank you so much for the service that you've given our country over these last few decades. I would love to sit down with you and have a peaceful conversation, human to human about Bitcoin. I would like to offer you a chance to ask any questions that you would like about Bitcoin and its energy use and its power to positively influence your representatives and and empower, empower them financially and offer a chance for financial inclusivity. Will you please offer us 10 minutes to speak with you because I think you would change your mind. And uh, I hope you have a great time on your next private jet flight. (laughs)
0: Love that. Love that. We are going to make sure that Uh, that gets shared. Everyone watching, when you see this clip, make sure you tag (laughs) Elizabeth Warren. We are going to ask her to sit down with Natalie Brunell and have this conversation. She will
1: not sit down with me if you leave in the last part. So don't. We,
0: we will, we will cut that yeah. out, but
1: I'm a big believer that you, you attract more bees with honey or what's that saying? Flies yes. with honey, whatever. Um, yes. We got, we got to be sweet. Look, these people, these people are saying what they say because they don't understand. So I'm, like, let's be nice. But I do. I, I have, you know, I've called her out because it really frustrates me when I see hypocrites in politics. It really does. Like, I, I know that so many of them went in with good intentions. In fact, I think Senator Warren did as well. Um, but the, the system is so rotted at its core that it corrupts from within. And by the time that you're in decades, like it's just it allows for, for just this inequality to fester. And I don't, I don't agree with it. It's not fair. Like if, you're going to be taking a private jet and getting upset about the energy use of Bitcoin. Like we need to have a conversation about this. And if you're going to be day trading Google options and then banning something like Bitcoin or speaking out against it, we need to have a conversation because this is ridiculous. And this is why our country is so polarized because nobody trusts their elected officials anymore. And there's no place to look. We're like in this paradigm, we're within these walls. We don't know like where to venture out. And us Bitcoiners, we've ventured out. We have found the fertile land that we can plant a new world on. And So we're like, we're telling people to come outside and join us. So, you know, in all fairness, I, I would, I would sit down very calmly and politely with Senator Warren and I would just want to have a conversation with her because she's wrong. She's wrong. And we're right.
0: You're, I, I love, love, I cannot emphasize this enough. Kill them with kindness, Mm -hmm. kill them with kindness. I continue to preach this. That we need to be more inclusive in this community. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is going to have the same libertarian mindset that the OG Bitcoiners did. Uh, I've definitely started to skew in that direction as my as many of you know. I'm a, a big time progressive, big time Lib, bleeding heart Lib. Uh, however, I, I see the light. I see the wrongs in in my ways, but I also see some right in the in those ways too. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about like a fun story with you uh, because you brought up the private jets and there was this news story that uh, a young college kid, I believe he's a freshman in college, started tracking Elon Musk's private jet.
1: Uh,
0: And then he started to, essentially Elon Musk reached out to him and asked him to stop, offered to pay him. And the very smart student turned around and was like, you'll offer me 5k. Okay, give me 50k and a job at Tesla, please. Valid. So valid, because you are a man, just like you said, so hypocritical for you to pound the drum of we need clean energy cars, green cars, yada, yada. Oh, but I'm going to take this private jet everywhere I go. I have no desire to figure out or solve what is, frankly, a larger issue. I stole this from Bill Nye, the science guy. So it's a credible source that plain Fuel, rocket fuel, is actually using up and causing more carbon emissions than all the cars that we use. So all the flying that I do is probably worse than the fact that I got rid of my car a year ago. But that said, like how how do we continue to allow this? I love the fact that we're calling out people who are on private jets. I know that you don't want us to include that bit, but we will. Um, what are what are other just hypocritical actions from Congress people that you you want to? You have the hot mic. Call call someone out right now, please.
1: Well, I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, here in Los Angeles, you know, kids are wearing masks at schools and we have all these mandates that will not lift, even though, you know, we don't have the hospitalizations to rationalize some of this, some of the intensity of these rules at this point in the pandemic. And we have governor Newsom and mayor Garcetti, you know, without their masks at SoFi enjoying the NFL game in a nice box suite celebrating with celebrities. It's like, did you go into office to serve the people or to serve yourself and do the rules? Do you play by the same rules? You know, when we had the mayors who want, you know, are part, they're, they're put, put taking away people's freedoms and making lockdowns and then they're partying at clubs and whatnot. I mean, I just think the average person, I don't care if you're red or blue, like at all, it's not okay. If, if you have one set of rules for yourself and you're the insiders and all the other bureaucrats, and a different rule for everybody else, because this pandemic has really exacerbated so many social issues, brought about so many mental health issues, like people have lost their jobs. Like if you're going to say, oh, you have to wear a mask, then you better be wearing that mask everywhere in the stadium. Cause it's technically you were supposed to wear it in the stadium. So I just think that's ridiculous. You know, and it's funny because right before I left my, probably a year before I left my news job, one of my biggest stories was a story about political hypocrisy, and I'll never forget it because it like went viral, and a bunch of uh, publications um, uh, shared it. There, we had an LA Council City, uh, LA City Council President, who moved uh, to defund the police by like 150, 200 million dollars. She was like, "We need to take the money out. We need to, you know, we don't need as many cops." And uh, I caught her having 24 seven taxpayer funded two police officers sitting outside her house at all times at the same time that she's moving to defund the police. So I went there and I'm like with my little iPhone and I'm recording, you know, the, the 24 seven security detail. And I talked to them and I was like, Hey, how do you feel about this? They're like, well, she's moving to defund us. And like, we have to sit outside her house, not just one person. We have to have two round the clock, 24 seven. When she walks outside, she doesn't even say hi to us. Like what? In what world is that okay? And I and I tried to talk to her. I tried to go to her place. I tried no comment. She didn't answer. The second, the second that I started asking questions, the security detail was gone. It's, I mean, it's like, why do you get a private security detail while crime is surging? You know, three hundred percent, but the average citizen doesn't get their cop. I like, I don't understand. Am I just like being too altruistic that I would not do that? I mean, I just, hypocrisy really, really, really frustrates me. And we have so much of it today because we've allowed, the fiat system allows crony capitalism to breed. And it's like, oh yeah, you can blame the rich guy. You can be like, it's, it's caused by him. No, it's caused by you incentivizing him caused by you injecting easy money into the system and making it easier and easier for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. So and and people, that's the problem is they don't understand that basic concept in, in economics and like how money printing works. So um, yeah, hypocrisy really, really, really frustrates me. I do not, I do not like it.
0: Uh, I w- I want to take a quick moment to say thank you for doing real independent journalism because we don't see enough of that. And you see the work you did made a direct impact and difference mm-hmm. and you saw change happen. So thank you. Thank you for thank doing you. incredible work. My hat goes off to you. So thank you for that. Um, Gavin Newsom, fuck you. Uh, that That's my sound bite on that front.
1: Um, you know, I tried to reach him because he like accepted Bitcoin for one of his campaigns in the past. And I wanted to see if he still like, if he still had it or like collected it, but I never heard back. So um,
0: I would like to, highlight something as well, hypocrisy, that, that actually happened yesterday in our state. Um, I don't know if you caught this, but the, the movement for single-payer healthcare was being put on the table. And this was a big movement by Democrats and progressives all over the state. This was a campaign platform that many Democrats ran on, promising constituents that this was going to get passed in the state of California. It was pulled off of the votes, and someone found out that over the last two weeks, private insurance companies have been flooding money into all of these Democrats' campaign. Regardless of how you feel about that, I, I, was, I was horrified to see that that was the, the result of something that was very important to the state of California, very important to voters, that they just don't care. And it goes to show you that the, their priorities are unfortunately not for their constituents. You brought it up. They, 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 lost, they lost the plot.
1: Maybe when they started,
0: they had good intentions, but a lot of them seem to be more focused on monetizing their fame, monetizing their abilities and focusing on who do I get to speak for after this? What trips am I going to get invited on based on company retreats that want to hear me talk? I
1: know the system. It's just, the system's completely broken and it allows, I mean, money in politics really corrupts everything. Uh, there's no consequences. I mean, literally I, the thing that I, I would always just marvel at when I was a journalist covering politics or campaigns, it's like these people fail up constantly. <laughs> like They could misspend money and they could, you know, just totally waste it. There could be complaints and like boom, they're reelected. They get a higher position. They get more salary. They get guaranteed pension. I mean, it's like, I just don't think that this would exist in a system that is based on actual like hard money and an actual sound economy and real interest rates and price signals. And if we shrink the government and make people more accountable, I just think that, you know, this is one of the things that Bitcoin hopefully will address fundamentally because our system is so broken. It's really, really sad. And it attracts it attracts the most power hungry people. Just think about it. Think about what kind of people are attracted to becoming politicians today.
0: Totally. I mean, not
1: a lot of great people.
0: No, I I, shout out my roommate freshman year, Samir Agrawal, who is genuinely one of the smartest human beings I ever met. Went to Harvard for law school after graduating undergrad as like one of the top students at GW, and he is a Pakistani. Uh, gentleman and we had a conversation just both being middle eastern he was like dude when i was a kid i wanted to be president mm-hmm. and, and as i've grown up i've realized like that's not a possibility in this country And i'm like but you are exactly who we need is like you are the perfect person everything but regardless to that um i do want to uh talk a little bit while while we still have you for a little bit longer about the conference um i know you yeah. attended last year and we it was a, a great party, and I know that we have a lot of stuff. You'll be speaking uh, at the conference this year and maybe have a couple other things. We don't want to announce those, but just yeah. uh, maybe share some things that you're excited about for the conference.
1: Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait for this conference because it's such a full-circle moment for me. I was I had started my podcast last year. I was collecting these interviews because I was so passionate. I was like bursting at the seams wanting to share you know, the message of Bitcoin and talk to the biggest thought leaders. And I decided that the conference was going to be when I posted my first episodes and I was going to go. And I asked your team for like a press pass because I was still a reporter and I had done some Bitcoin stories for my last network. And so I was just like super, you know, ready to go, like totally green, knew nobody knew who I was. And uh, to think like in just it's, it's not even been a year because the conference was in June. Um, just to think how crazy, like my whole life has changed. I went to that conference and I, lo- I posted a couple episodes and this space is so incredibly hungry for this information and content. And they're so kind and like supportive that I had people within those few days coming up to me being like, hey, you're the coin stories girl. Like I listened to your show. And I was like, you found it already? Like, it's like, there's two episodes up. And it was so nice, like it felt so supportive. And I met, like, I literally walked up to Michael Saylor backstage with my dinky business card. And I was like, will you come on my show? He came on my show. Uh, I went to Safadine's dinner and I begged him to come on my show because he was ignoring me, Safedine. Um, <laughs> And he was like, I'll go on your show. So my whole career basically, you know, it, it started at that conference and I'm so grateful for it. I met so many people and heard, you know, on stage, these, these amazing thought leaders who are speaking to my core, to my heart, like they want to make the world a better place through fixing the money. And I just love that. I'm, I'm like, I feel like I've finally found a community where take politics aside, backgrounds aside, where you're from aside, like where you live, like at our core we want the world to be a better place. We want to take care of the people that we love. We want to take care of ourselves and our families and our future families. And like, that's so pure and beautiful to me. And it like my family came here for the American dream from, uh, from Poland. They know what it's like to, to grow up in communism. And they always dreamt that like, this would be the place where, If you work hard and you're a good person, anything can happen. And for the last 10 years, it feels like that dream has been slipping away. And through Bitcoin, I feel like we have a chance to renew it and make it stronger than the Bitcoin conference, like represents that for me. And it's a great place to network. That like you guys want me as a speaker? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> I
0: mean, I, I love the fact hearing like the journey that you know you, you pretty much started. It helped launch your career, and here we are. Left long- my
1: job four months later. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, look, I, I pounded that drum. Now you're hearing Natalie share exactly that. Go to the conference, changed her life. It helped her yes. work in Bitcoin. If you are watching and want to change your life and start working in Bitcoin. The conference is the place to be. You will shake hands and meet more people in this space than any other event around the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Use code YTMAG to get ten percent off your, your tickets. Um, I also want to maybe touch on a little bit. You know, going from attendee to speaker. Now, what what goes through your mind? What are you preparing for to talk? Like, talk to us a about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it'll depend on where we're at because things change so quickly in Bitcoin. It's really funny. You know, the one thing I will say that has a lot to a lot of similarities to my last industry, my last career I worked in news is it's 24 seven, right? So like I've all, I feel like I've been programmed to constantly be, be able to react in a couple seconds to a massive change. Like I used to be woken up in the middle of the night because some crazy breaking news event happened. Right. And here we are in another 24 seven industry. And so it's exciting. it be a little tiring but i'm just excited to see you know all the things we sort of talked about what's the fed going to do by that point will they have hiked rates will the market have corrected will we be in a rally melt up will we have a new all time high um i'm excited to see all the the other speakers and just again like i feel really i don't feel worthy of being <laughs> among them i just you know i do one thing i like talk about bitcoin you know i i my skill set for the last 10 years is just speaking some of it on camera. And, uh, and I just want to share the message of Bitcoin. So if I can do that through, through this conference, uh, I'll be a happy camper. (laughs) Um,
0: I love that. I mean, Natalie, I've been watching your content, watching your interviews on coin stories. It's been very informational for myself, continuing to learn. Um, So thank you for continuing to do that. We need more people just out there continuing to share because it's beyond just our network. Um, I love the way that you you approach it with empathy and compassion. Kill them with kindness. that that's gonna be the motto I keep saying to you. and we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna change the world by killing them with kindness.
1: Thank you. Well, I love your team so much. Thank you guys all for being supportive and And if there's, you know anyone else that I can help educate, like send them my way because I, I want to bring everyone onto team Bitcoin. And you guys are just great. So thank you. I'm so excited for the conference
0: We are going I'm gonna Elizabeth Warren. Natalie Brunel that conversation is going to happen on Bitcoin Magazine live and it's going to be great Natalie thank you so much for joining us everyone make sure to check out coin story she's going to have an awesome episode coming out with David Hunter as she's mm-hmm. teased with us today so be sure to check it out she's had some great interviews there as well yep, yep. 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 yep.